So in my spare time, I'm also a nurse, a doctor, a caregiver. And then Zoe is Stellan's equal in terms of sociability and fun and zest for life. While Stellan has full-time needs, 24-hour around-the-clock needs from G-tube to diapers to he's nonverbal, he's in a wheelchair, right? So he's really a around-the-clock, around full-on consumer of caregiving. Um, he is a very social and very smart guy. And he, so he's, he loves being around people and being hugged and, and part of the party. And then Zoe is just like that as well. So except that she can do all the things. Welcome back everyone to another episode of our podcast. I am Charlie O'Donnell. And I'm Asia Singer. And we have an internet friend who is now a live friend. Noelle and I have been race cheering buddies on Instagram and other platforms for quite a while, so long that we don't actually know how we met. And she is a parent and a CMO, and she'll tell us a little bit more about both of those things. But I'm super excited to have you on. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Why don't you give us a little bit of an intro, both in terms of just like who you are in your family and what that looks like, and then what you do for your career? Sure. Yeah. So I am currently the chief marketing officer at ThreadUp, the world's, we purport to be the world's largest, we think, online consignment and resale site. So really focusing on secondhand clothing. Prior to that, I was the CMO at Lulu's, so the opposite where I was in the fast fashion world. So I'm trying to do better now. You're atoning. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I also had a side hustle during that time called Retold Recycling that still exists, but as part of joining ThreadUp. No longer part of Retold Recycling because it's pretty similar in terms of model. So I've been atoning for some time. And so I spent seven years at Lulu's prior to coming to ThreadUp. And before that, I have done all sorts of things in marketing and creative and content. I sometimes joke that I, if you make a Venn diagram of people who made violent video games and people who have sold lipstick, I might be the only one in the overlapping area. So I spent five years at Mac Cosmetics and consumer marketing and running social and all that good fun stuff. And I also happen to have produced some of the bigger, more violent video games known to this earth, like Grand Theft Auto and Manhunt. What else? Let's see. And are you still a gamer? I am a gamer. Yeah. I I don't have as much time for it because of this thing called parenting. But now that my kids are a little bit older, they're into video games too. It's coming full circle. So that's my work life. And then the balance part of my, my personal life, I have a husband of gosh, 13 years. He's French. He's also got a full-time job in technology. And we met in business school in Spain. And then we have two kids who are awesome. Stellan, who's now 10 and a half and Zoe, who is eight and a half going on and uh, which probably is familiar to all parents of eight, eight-year-old daughters. But Stellan is special and different because he has cerebral palsy. And we didn't even know about any of this until he was six months old. That had the sort of the combination of the shock and ongoing, honestly, continuing grief of what it is to be a special needs parent combined with not having prepared for that during pregnancy. We had no idea until he was probably three months old that we were like, I know we're first time parents here, but something seems off. So we had to really push actually to get that the initial MRI that led to a variety of diagnoses. So he has cerebral palsy and that was caused by a very rare brain malformation called pachygyria, which is something that I still to this day have to sometimes explain to doctors. So in my spare time, I'm also a nurse, a doctor, a caregiver. And then Zo Zoe is Stellan's equal in terms of sociability and fun and zest for life. While Stellan has full-time needs, 24-hour around-the-clock needs, from G-tube to diapers to he's nonverbal, he's in a wheelchair, right? So he's really a around-the-clock, around full-on consumer of caregiving. Um, he is a very social and very smart guy. And he, so he loves being around people and being hugged and, and part of the party. And then Zoe is just like that as well. So except that she can do all the things. So she demonstrates it with her full force <laughs> of her personality at all times. So she's dancing and singing and playing soccer and running and jumping on the bed and all the things that, that kids love to do. So it is a very 
fine. I don't think balance is even the right word. It's a constant chaos of managing all the things at all the times, but, and trying to appear like it's all, everything's fine, right? Everything's under control. Along those lines, my biggest and most important question is, it is now September 9th. Do you know what the Halloween costume is going to be yet? So funny because we were just talking about it last night, actually. So Charlie is referencing. Give it away. Yeah, our family. I'm, yeah, there's going to be no spoiler alerts here today, but our family has been creating some pretty elaborate homemade Halloween costumes built around Stellan's wheelchair for the past, gosh, I think five years. It started when um, when we first moved back to California in 2015 from from New York, and Quentin, my husband, started putting together a costume that turned in the garage made out of cardboard and various things he found in our garage that turned into a little train. And so we just were able to plop that over his wheelchair. And then I got him a little conductor outfit and off he went tooting down the street. Everybody thought it was the coolest thing that has turned into a variety of other things. The next year we were all pirates and Stellan had a pirate ship again, all like cardboard randomness put together with scotch tape and duct tape, a lot of duct tape and a lot of energy late night energy. The one that probably came closest to imperiling my marriage was when I thought it would be really easy to make an X-Wing fighter for Stellan. And I am a creative and Quentin is an engineer and informed me that there's like a reason that those don't exist in real life is because they're really hard to make. We made it anyway. And so that was one of the, one of the better ones. I don't consider myself like a crafty person at all. So this is the, this is where all my craft energy goes into is like creating these costumes. We were at the Lady Gaga concert last night with Zoe and got some pretty fabulous costume ideas. So I don't know. I don't know if that's the direction we're going, but yes, I start thinking about it on November 1st. Quentin ignores me until about October 21st usually, and then it becomes a big chaotic mess in our garage. So we'll see what happens this year. That's fun. So I think that energy is the keyword I want to just take out of that because there's just like from the outside and I am sure that there are bad days and difficult days and all of that sort of stuff but both you and your husband seem to have like pretty good careers and you guys as a family unit seem to just really take things and move forward, right? Together and positively. And and then even individually, like you're a runner and compete and all of this sort of stuff. And I, I don't know if you have turned the mirror and peeled back because sometimes when you ask the question of like, how do you do all of these things? It's not easy because you have to do them in some way or but you don't necessarily have to do them in the way that you're doing them and i guess i'm curious of like how it all works like what are the keys to making it work as well as it seemed to yeah that's a great question i have to give a lot of credit to quentin so a lot of it is the partnership that we've had over all these years. And he actually put his career on hold to focus on the kids and me and supporting mine for the number of years, in particular that I was at Lulu. So he was working full-time in New York. He actually was had a startup as well and really set that aside to help support the family, which is a whole other podcast, I would say, about what it is to be a male in what is traditionally like a mom role. And what does that mean? Not only like how you feel about yourself. I think he never felt weird about it, except other people did. And it was about how he had a hard, he'll say this himself, I would think is that he had a hard time just getting to hang out with the moms because like, he's the guy, right? There was a lot of interesting and difficult times, I think that came for him through all of that. And then I was just working like a maniac. I think what we've had to really get better at and what I've had to really get better at is actually balancing and really making sure that I'm focusing enough time on, on him, on me, on the kids. And I think what I'll continue to keep getting better at is giving our couple, like our relationship enough time and focus and energy. When it comes to how do you do it all? I think I've always been a very high energy person. I was even thinking about, I went for a run today and that's also how I process 
things and think through things. And so that's a therapeutic outlet for me, I would say. But I was listening to a podcast where someone mentioned, oh yeah, you might not want to get out of bed and you just want to go back to bed and watch TV all day. And I was thinking, I've actually never felt like that. Like, of course, when you're really tired or sick, but there's no, that's never been a thing for me. And I actually had a moment of gratitude where I'm like, gosh, I'm glad that's not something that I've ever had to overcome. I feel very lucky in that, that I just seem to have this abundance of energy and I need to appreciate it while it lasts. But I think whether you're a special needs parent as we are, or just, or a regular needs parent, and let's be honest, every kid is different and they all have their special needs. It really changes all the dynamics of everything. And one of the things I think we fail at as a society, at least in the U S is in explaining that to future parents, but not in the unhelpful way of, Oh, get your sleep now because you're not going to get it. That's not helpful. It's actually like the deeper stuff. The only thing that people say to you. Exactly. It's not helpful. (laughs) Yeah. It's so unhelpful. It's true. And yes, sleep while the baby's sleeping. Yes. Cause you're tired, but that's when I'm going to get all my stuff. (laughs) Like when else am I going to get everything done? I think what's really helpful would actually be for friends to pull each other aside and be like, Hey, your relationship is going to like change dramatically and take a hit and it's in ways that you can't even anticipate so just be ready and figure out ways to communicate that with each other and so i think where we're at is we've some of this to your point charlie about taking a mirror to things i think it was actually just this weekend that i had some time to myself and i was pulling weeds in the yard and not listening to a podcast not listening to music just doing that and and i realized we've just been in like survival mode for the past 10 years And so it's now about how do we actually plan for what like a great next 10 years looks like, as opposed to just getting through day by day. I don't know if that actually answered the question. I don't, I don't think we have a 10 year plan. We don't have like a two month plan. (laughs) (laughs) I never have. Let me just be clear. Anytime when like in school, when they would do that exercise of what does Noel in five years look like? That really stressed me out because I was like, I don't know. I don't want to limit myself to what I'm writing on this paper. But I think there's something to be said for And we're in a place now where the kids are older, right? That we can actually say, okay, what would, like, where do we want to live? What do we want our finances to look like? All those things that we talk about in passing or think about individually, maybe where we can actually sit down and maybe try to map some of that out, which we've never had the time. We haven't just haven't had the time to do in the past 10 years, not for lack of wanting to or trying, but like, even have you ever asked yourselves, what is our ideal city to retire in? This couple I met knew that. And I was like, how do you know that already? <laughs> There's so many options. Asia's giving me, I know exactly what is on her mind. <laughs> I just, every once in a while, I'm like, hey, how do you feel about living in Italy one day? <laughs> You're talking to somebody talk who, <laughs> the, the longest consecutive time I've been outside of New York City is three weeks. So, gosh. You and your 10-year planning, it's New York City. Duh. Yeah. Part of it is, my upbringing ages ago my brothers and I we had discussed the idea of getting my parents a trip and I said I think we should maybe talk to them about this first and I asked my mom and she's no that's just not for us and I said what do you mean come on you take a trip it'll be fun she goes where are we gonna go and that (laughs) my grandparents that was sort of yeah, all of our friends are in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Why would we ever go anywhere else? Yeah, like that is the sort of mindset. That's my dad's never been to the West Coast. And at this point, he won't be. And yeah, he likes sleeping in his own bed. But we have traveled. Yes, and so we like. Yeah, but retiring in Italy sounds awesome. I'm just going to put that out there. I'm with Asia. Yeah. A lot of biking out there. Yeah. So pasta. This just romantic idea of me like, sitting painting and i don't know picking fruit (laughs) i love that that for you i'm here for this picking fruit yeah fresh fruit okay (laughs) (laughs) Um, i I will say that on the planning aspect of it that is the one nice thing about the way that venture capital works is that like you raise a fund and you have a certain number of years to disperse those funds, right? So every few years you check in and you're like, do I wanna do this again? And do I wanna do it differently? Do I wanna add people? Do I wanna go work somewhere else? It's a sort of two to four year continual 
check-in. And sometimes the market tells you whether or not you can keep doing it or not. It's not always in your control, but it, I think it is good because I think people fall into tracks and it is very hard to completely reset say, what exactly do I want to do without thinking it has to be something like I'm doing now, or it has to be the next inevitable step. So that's question is just your career steps. How much of it is a function of, I think I want to do that. And so therefore I'm moving to that next step versus something else. Like how have you moved throughout your career? Also, I'm super curious to know if you had considered staying at home at any point after you you did have children and how you guys went about making that choice? Yeah, sure. So I think um, on the career question, it's funny. I haven't really thought about it until right now, but my progression almost normalized to what people think a, a career should look like after I had kids, which is very funny. So before that, I mean, if you look back at all the things I've done, it's, it seems very random and, and I can tell it as a story that makes total sense in hindsight, but like going from film school and then working in the film industry and then making video games, and then you do an MBA and then you work in advertising and then you jump to the brand side. It makes sense, but at the same in it, I was some, there were definitely times where I'm like, what am I doing? And I think that especially happened just after I came out of business school, which it was also like 2000, 2007, 2008, which was, I think a lot of people are like, what is happening in the world right now? And felt like I was taking sort of a bunch of lateral moves that actually organized themselves after in hindsight into something that kind of made sense as a advertising and marketing and brought me into that side of the world. And then what's interesting is since having Stellan, I came back from that maternity leave at Mac. And I was, I want to say I was promoted in the first couple months and it was soon enough. Let's think it was far enough after I came back from maternity leave that I had just found out about his diagnosis. So it was organized. <laughs> the timing was unbelievable. And I remember my boss saying, Hey, and if this doesn't feel right to you because of everything you're about to be going through. And I was the first person on my team to have a kid, right. Then I'm like, have this, the special needs situation. And I remember saying at the time, no, I actually probably have have a more need for more money, knowing that I'm going to have this kid that's going to need more support. So yeah, I'll take the promotion. I'll take the raise. Give me what you got. And what's so interesting is I felt like I actually became way more productive as a working mom than I ever was before. And that's something I've heard lots of working moms say is, especially when they get, I think, feel frustrated by the whole, oh, how can you expect to do as much now that you're a mom, you have fewer hours or your thoughts are elsewhere. It's actually the opposite. You have to focus so hard on what you're doing in that moment to get it all done and then focus on the next thing and the next thing. I just felt like I was getting far more done in a day than I did six months prior before before I had Stellan. So that was one really interesting thing. And then in terms of- Aspect of having a child with special needs, given like appointments and doctors and all of that sort of stuff that, that actually in some weird way, I don't know, like the way we've been super fortunate, despite the fact that Mirren was a preemie, she has not had any issues. And so our- relationship to milestones is very different because like we she like whenever she decides to crawl she'll start crawling and whenever she decides to start eating she'll do this and it's all like very vague but also not predictable and a little hard to manage whereas I feel like if when we were in the NICU it was like we knew that there would be stages and steps to manage around and life felt a little bit more scheduled the more that we were because you were going toward this goal of getting out of the NICU and then getting yeah. out of the hospital you were working toward a very to your point to milestones that was the milestone was getting out and now it's whatever mayor's going to do when mayor's going to do it is what it's going to be and that's to go back to your mirror question earlier i would say the part I didn't answer there is the grief that comes up at totally random times when I'm not expecting it. Ten and a half years in, right? I think I'd be used to this by now. And it actually happens a lot. It'll probably happen right now because I'm talking about it, but it happens a lot around milestones. So either Mother's Day or his birthday or other kids doing things that we see that he can't do and will never do. Sometimes it's when Zoe does things 
And we're like, so excited to have a kid that look, she's talking, look, she's now she'll never stop talking. I, there was a time where I was like, I just want a kid to say mom. And now I'm like, please don't say mom ever again. I don't mean that obviously. And it's delightful every time, even the 8 millionth of the day, but so yeah. So to your, I think the scheduling is complicated for sure. And that's true. Again, if you've got neurotypical kids, they're hopefully doing music lessons or ballet or soccer or whatever. So there's that scheduling component always comes into it. I think the difference there is you can expect that to be in the afternoons or the evenings. Whereas when you get to see the neurologist, you go when you get to see the neurologists and all these specialists are complicated. We were very lucky at that time also that Mac as a brand and the letter companies as a corporation was so supportive and there was never a question. Obviously that's partly me having shown, look, I'm going to get my work done whenever it's going to get done. And you can count on me for that. I'd already been there long enough for them to know that. But as an organization, they, there was never a question of Noel, do you need, yeah, you're not going to be here from nine to 11 tomorrow. No problem. Do what you need to do because that'll enable you to do it. So I was also very lucky to be in a company and in a role that had that flexibility, right? Not every parent has that. And that's something I think about often as well is the fact that I do have that flexibility and I've gotten there through hard work, but it's also because I didn't have to ever start in a role that didn't have as much of that flexibility. Right? I don't have to be at a factory or at a restaurant or things where I'm an hourly employee and I've, I'm afforded that luxury of my schedule, especially at this point in my career. But I have to say, even back in the, in the days at Mac 10 years ago, I really was fortunate to be able to work around figuring out all the schedules because Stellan had so many appointments. He still does. He still does. But yeah, in those early days, my goodness, we were fortunate actually to have so many, we had to fight for it, but we ended up with him getting PT five days a week, OT twice a week. It started at once a month. And then as, as parents, you just have to fight for everything you can get. And that all this, all these people are probably like, Oh, these parents again. But at the same time, they're also delighted when they have parents that care that much and that are really there for their kids and want to do, do well by them. When it comes to, did I ever think about staying home and that's never a goal or a dream of mine? That said last year, as after we took Lulu's public, I was definitely like, I would love to retire and I would love to be a stay at home mom. And, and then I actually did it for a couple of months this summer. And I was like, this is a lot of work and nobody's paying me for this. So yeah, I think that whoever the caregiver is in a home, like should be compensated for that time. But that's another whole conversation altogether. But yeah, it's, it's, I think it also stems from the fact that perhaps because Stellan wasn't hitting those milestones, it was actually more of a frustrating experience as a first time parent. I was like, this isn't fun, actually. This is hard and weird. And we didn't know why. So as hard as the diagnosis was when it came in, when he was six months old, when he had that MRI on his brain, was also like, oh, now at least we know what's happening. And then there's a whole other world of stuff we had to go through. But I definitely was ready to go back to work after the 12 weeks that I had with Stellan. And then a little less so with Zoe, partly I think because she was more entertaining, frankly, right? Like she was able to do stuff and interact with us in a way that Stellan couldn't in the beginning. But I think I was also ready to go back then too, partly because your identity isn't only mom. And so in the same way that I don't want my identity to be purely tied to my job or my, the work I do, it's nice to be someone other than mom sometimes. Do you want to be someone other than mom? Yeah. Yes, I do. Or in addition to, it's not like the mom part goes away. You're still mom, but it's like, what else adds on to that? It's funny as I started to get back to going to events and all of this sort of stuff, I feel like every conversation I've had has just been about Mirren and I'm perfectly content to just be dad I think <laughs> it's pretty cool I love hanging out with the kids like Zoe is so funny and just fun to hang out with she just cracks me up she has her moments too where I'm like please please stop being a jerk 99% of the time she's hilarious and awesome and I think Stellan is too it just comes with the challenges of he can't talk back to me, which is good and bad and if we go do stuff together there's just you have to bring all it's like having a 60 pound newborn, right? All the equipment, the wheelchair, the planning, everything, making sure everything's accessible. So it is challenging. One of the things that when we had Miriam and it was clear that she was going to be born two and a half months early, the doctor came in and like basically listed 
all of the bad stuff that could happen. And um, and Asia and I had a pretty different reaction to it, I think. Like it was- It's also in labor, but yes, yeah, I yeah, yeah, into yeah. tears. It was super upsetting. Yeah. And I think, so I've had in my family, my, my mom's brother didn't have Down syndrome, but something in that ballpark. And we had experienced what that was like in some way. And I think I had this position that like, whatever it is, we'll just do the best we can. And that's all we can do. Maybe it means, I I, I, I always think about this one time I, I gave this presentation about my fund and it's a relatively small fund size. And the person who was like evaluating it was like, oh, if you're running this fund, how will you make enough money to send your kid to Yale? And I was like, I know this may sound weird to you, but it's quite possible my kid might not go to Yale and it's still okay. And I, I think we all have these like expectations and sometimes we don't create room for just, this kid's path just might be different and we'll just do the best we can. And I'm just sort of curious, did you guys have that mindset going in? Did anybody help you figure out how to deal with it? Like, how did you guys adjust your expectation set and deal with the, this is just going to be a different path than we expected? Yeah, I think one of the things that's been really challenging and it happens still is, and I say this even having doctors and medical professionals in my family, they're not great at delivering news. And like you said, they'll tell you all the terrible things. And man, we have heard terrible things, right? We had a doctor come in and was like, oh, so I understand this little guy's not gonna live very long. <laughs> we were like, he was 10 months old. We were like, I'm sorry, this is the first time we've heard that. So what? Like just things that you would never say to someone, especially like when they're either like in labor, right? Or just existing in life it's deliver the there's this delivery that's needs some work clearly and yeah, that was super aggressive for them to tell you while you were in labor that was no that was the only time for them to do it so that's why they did it then but right. yeah they were trying to prepare you, you. Uh, yeah nothing right I, that's it there's the baby's coming i don't we don't know what's gonna happen once she's out so yeah i it's true. Yeah, you needed to just focus on breathing in that moment. So like a liability thing. So yeah, I um, bet you probably is. Actually. Yeah, yeah. Actually, and, it could be, which yeah. is also annoying. By by the way, but I think I find I forgot what your question was. No, you just Wait, talking... so there's a demonstration of how my brain doesn't work because no, I'm no, no, like, sorry for interrupting. Like how you adjusted to the idea that you would be on a different path. And... Oh yeah, one thing that maybe helped was I never. I wasn't a, that person that was like, oh, I'm going to have a child one day. And when I do, he or she is going to do this, that, and the other, and we're going to do all these things. So I never viewed myself like as a kid or growing up, or even once we were married, you know, I think I always took for granted I would be a parent, but I never had expectations in the first place, which is nice. So I didn't have to not have them met. That said, no matter what you have a child, you have expectations that they're going to walk and talk and eventually use a toilet by themselves, things like that, eat food. And I think what was what's been interesting about our experience is that we've had to, we're both, Quentin and I are both po really positive people. And then we're like, okay, you're telling us this thing. We're going to try to prove you wrong. So that's, that's one piece is the, our kid's going to be the one that gets through it or, or is different. I think that also for me comes from the fact that growing up, my dad was the CEO of children's hospital in San Diego. And so I heard him for years telling stories about kids who made it, the kid who had cancer, the kid who had a near drowning experience. Those are the stories you tell because you're trying to raise the funds or get, get people on board. And there's never the story about, oh, and then there's some kids that just never get past basically being three months old. And it's about managing that as opposed to fixing it. There's no fixing this. And so I think that was a big piece that we all had to get through as a whole family. I think my, it was hard for my parents. It was hard for my sister. It was hard for obviously Quentin and me. So there was that initial sort of realization and understanding of this isn't going to get better. You don't, it's not going to recover or, and then going back to like, we're positive and go-getters. I think we still were going to try everything. So we left no stone unturned, tried all these different outcomes or possibilities. And some of which led to a little bit here and there, and some led to nothing. But I think where we're at now is, for example, we really believe that 
where we're selling is lucky at this point in time. And where we are is that technology is just like exploding. Right. And there's all these things that, that, that are emerging all the time. And so I've heard Quentin say, if Stellan realizes he can control his computer, he has an assistive technology device called a Toby, he can communicate with that. And he's still learning and it's not, it's not like carrying on full conversations, but he communicates very, it's very clear. He's following what's going Mm -hmm. on. He knows who everyone is. He has everyone's names in his device. He calls out to people and he knows that he can control this device and that he has a voice as a result. So I think our goal now is, okay, we've gotten over. He's not going to walk. We tried really hard, not going to walk, not going to do these things, but if he can control this device and then that can control something else. So I've heard Quentin say, once he realizes he can control a Tesla, I'm like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) he's not 16 yet let's not go get too far ahead of ourselves but i think we've maintained that positivity or at least hope for the future and i think a lot of that now is based less on oh he's going to overcome these challenges because he's not let's be honest And, and that's sometimes still hard to admit and say out loud but he's not and so instead what are the what are these emerging things that he can do, can't control? So he can control this device. Does that, what are the next steps of that? If he can tell his Toby to turn on Alexa, he might start ordering stuff from Amazon, right? Or he might indeed be able to control an autonomous vehicle at some point if it's able to follow his directions. So I think that's where we balance the resetting of expectations on a pretty regular basis. We just learned, for example, yesterday in his annual meeting that they're not gonna give him as much OT, as many hours, to work on his wheelchair driving. A lot of people have the hand, like the joystick controller. He has one with what's called a head array to control the chair with his head movements. Cause that's what he controls the best is like turning head left to right and looking around, but he's just not making enough progress. And so they want to reduce it's counterintuitive to me where I'm like, if someone's not making progress, make them do more. But in, in PTOT land, when run by the government, it's the opposite. That's a blow. It's those kind of things that you've, we've learned to roll with those punches over the years, but it still sucks. There's no way around it to have to reset your expectations once again of, oh, we hoped he'd be able to control a wheelchair by himself and get to go, you know, go where he wants when he wants to, but he's not yet proving that he really can do it. And how do we reset our expectations yet again? So I think it's a constant sort of like when you're on a sailboat and you're tacking and you're going this way and then, oh, got to fix, adjust slightly. And not that I'm a sailor clearly, but by that description, but I think it's that kind of thing of once you're over that initial, oh my God, this is not what we expected at all. Even if we didn't have specific expectations, then it's really about, okay, day to day, there's going to be changes or obstacles to overcome. And how do we adjust How do you think that, do you think you use that same approach in your career? Absolutely. Yeah. The reality of being in is that you can control the controllables, right? And then there's all these macro things, which we're definitely all feeling right now in any, no matter what business you're in, I guess, unless you're, no, I think everyone's dealing with some sort of macroeconomic forces. And yeah, each day we're like, we have a plan for a target we're going to hit no matter what the business is. And you either beat it or you don't. And if you don't, it's gosh, what did we do wrong? Or what do we need to fix? And if you do, you're still like, wow, how do we do more of this? So you have a plan and then, and a forecast, and then you adjust the plan all, all the time. So I never really thought about that. That's very deep. I have another question, but I don't want to dominate. The, do you have something that you want to? Okay. When you start talking to thread up or really any of the companies that you wound up joining at what point do you share or say hey i have this situation at home it means x y and z so this is what i need from a company or is it more can you screen in some way for i'm only going to work at places that have this kind of approach to employees and personal life situations and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. I think when this first happened, I was already at Mac and obviously it would, I looped everyone in pretty, pretty quickly. And like I said, I I was very well supported and, and treated just so well. Our whole family was, and I kept a blog about Stellan for a while, partly because I was it was so exhausting to have to update people all the time. And then you're reliving the what happened all the time, whether it's positive or negative. So I I started blogging about it, which I had been a blogger before being a blogger made you any money. Like I was just way ahead of my time and sadly have never made a dime, but oh, onward and upward. A part of it was just about keeping our friends and family informed. But then as I realized 
this is a rare, very rare brain malformation, pachygyria. There's also polymicrogyria. It's all like different, like your brain is supposed to have a number of folds basically in it, right? Like physical folds and some have too many and they're too small and some have too few and they're too big. And so Stellan's in the latter, but all of them have different manifestations in terms of your outcome. And I was able to connect with different parents because of the book, either they found me or then I found others, whether it was through Facebook groups, but several people through the blog. And so for a while, I was like, this is going to help other people. And that helps me feel better about the situation I'm in. Cause I feel I'm helping others and giving back. And, and there was a point when I was keeping that blog thinking, gosh, what if this prevent, like somebody does a quick Google search and finds it and that prevent, they're like, oh, she has this whole situation. Maybe we shouldn't hire her. So I had that whole thought in my head and I thought, screw them. If they don't want to hire me because I have a, like a kid that's extra work, I don't want to work there, frankly. So it was, it became, even if it never was used as a screening process by anyone, I don't know, but for me, it actually made me feel a little better knowing that if someone Googled me and found out and then they still wanted to hire me, I wasn't damaged goods, if you will. Because the reality is I'm not. Quentin isn't either. We still get our work done. We get up every day like everybody else, get the kids to school, go to go to work. We just have a lot of extra things to think about. So yeah, and revealed pretty early on when I was leaving Mac and Estee Lauder to move back to California to join Lulu's to the founder that I had this situation. And again, it was, I was, it was nerve wracking to reveal this. And instead- How she- big was the company at the time? Lulu's was pretty small, including, I want to say I was employee like 160, 165. And we were at uh, almost 2000, no, a thousand when I left. So in, in May of this year, and obviously with changes due to COVID, people were we reduced and got back to size. But anyway, so it was still a very small company and a mother daughter founder team who get it. But instead, right away, Colleen said, oh, a friend of mine from high school is in the same situation. I'm going to connect you with her so you can get connected with resources here. So that was the reaction. I thought, okay, this is great. So it is a little bit of that. And then with ThreadUp, I remember I, I revealed it to our chief people officer as I was meeting her for the first time. And that was one of those unexpected moments of I got really emotional and I thought, oh my gosh, how embarrassing. I'm in this sort of interview and I suddenly get emotional about something that I've been explaining to people for 10 years. But the fact that I could even say, how awkward is this? Sorry, I don't know. Why is this happening? But she was amazing and she's a mom and she gets it. And she said, look, this is, we're all people and we're all here. It's people that make this company run. Whether I meant to have that additional screening that I performed or not, I knew that, that I'd be welcome, that we'd be welcome, that, that it would have. And they know, frankly, that it's not going to impact my performance or my ability to do my job. Yeah. And if it's, I feel very lucky, like I said earlier, that I'm in a position though, that I can do that pick and choose where I work, or at least they pick and choose me. And then I can still verify that it's a place that's going to be supportive. Is there anything other than them being flexible about time that makes it a supportive workplace? The time piece is huge and being aware of and understanding of the fact that especially in our kind of like quote unquote knowledge work roles, right? You can do this at any time. And sometimes it's four to 6 a.m. or it's 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. And people naturally have those different working rhythms anyway. But so I do think the sort of flexibility and understanding is key. There's also something about respect for people's time in general. So it's not just about, oh yes, if you need to go to a doctor's appointment, you can. It's also about, you're not expected to answer all the things and be on at all times. And and yeah, if you are having, even if it's just having dinner with your family, all the executives here seem to have those. Surprisingly, there's families in this company and, and they respect that. So that's something I definitely value a lot. And then I think just that general sort of feeling of safety, right? That you can express that you're going through something or that there's something hard you have to deal with today. And I think that's really valuable. And you don't really know if that exists until you're in it, which is harder in terms of joining a new company in particular. But the other thing I found, I will say is I'm pretty open about things straight out of the gate at this point, because whereas I always used to be the youngest person everywhere I went, whether it was in school or in companies, I'm not that anymore. And so I also can lead by example. And so I'm trying to do my part, whether it's about educating about Stellan and differences, right? So I have a really strong conviction at this point that I guess part of my purpose is that kids are different and that's okay. And it's actually really important for all the quote unquote regular kids to hang out with the quote unquote not regular kids, right? So that 
we realize, oh, this is not weird and we don't need to stare or, or be awkward. So that's one whole aspect is like at school and all those environments. Like I, we put selling in all the things we can, it's getting harder as it gets older, but, and then at work, it's about trying to be as authentic as possible. And you guys said it, it appears from the outset, like things are all organized and together and the reality it's messy and it's crazy. And every morning is like total chaos at my house as we're trying to get out the door, right? Like it's, it is chaos is really the only word for it. It can be very intense and chaotic, but we haven't been late to school yet once this year. Granted, it's only been nine days. That's something. Yeah. I'll take it. (laughs) So yeah, I think just being honest with the people now that report to me and look up to me as a, as somebody to, whether it's like the career they want to have or the person they want to be is just, this is my reality. And there's going to be days that I don't have it together. And sorry, and being really honest about, I did not get to read that thing that you sent me yet. And I promise I'll get to it. And when I do, I'll get back to you. I think just being really honest about all that, because we're also, we're not superhuman and trying to pretend like we are, isn't helping anyone. Last question before we go, what advice would you give yourself? Professional advice, would you give yourself 10 years ago and what personal advice would you give yourself? Wow. I think professional in both cases, it's going to all, it's going to work out. Right. I think that's just something to remind myself, but professional, especially because like I said, before about 10 years ago, my career was confusing and I did a lot of startup things. My, my role was very entrepreneurial always. And that has made me very comfortable with change and with dealing with the unexpected and the da- the daily shifts. So I think just letting my future self know that this is all actually going to make sense at some point. And uh, I think the other piece around that is that no matter what your career looks like and the twists and turns that it takes, there, there is a through line. And even if you're realizing it after the fact, there's a story you can tell when you're going into interviews. Why was there that gap in your resume? Why did you jump from this to this? Explain to me how you got from video games to cosmetics, right? There is a through line there. And sometimes it takes a little bit of hindsight to think it through, but, but there is a way to make it all make sense. So there's that storytelling element. Personally, I think I would tell myself to make sure to spend even more time on my relationship with Quentin. And it's something that I'm working on all the time. I think that's something that is so easy to set aside because you're married, you've already done all that stuff. And now you have a kid and you have jobs and you have a house, your mind, whatever the things are, right. That always take priority and precedence. And, but if that relationship isn't solid, then that's an additional layer of stress and chaos and anxiety that can come in. So I think we've done a pretty good job of navigating. Could we have done even better? Absolutely. Could I have done even better? For sure. But I think that's the biggest thing is carve out that time. And it's not as hokey as make sure you do a date night every week because that's actually not real either. You don't, when you're on date night, you don't want to talk about all the like crap that you have to talk about. You want to be like, oh, we're on a date night. So it's like, how do you make both happen realistically, knowing that there's 8 million other things you have to do? We actually did not understand what other people meant by date night because we kept thinking that people wanted time off from their kid and we were like we really like our kid like we're, we bring her to dinner it's fine it's <laughs> we, yeah same we take our kids everywhere but that but as a result and you as she starts to like get more communicative and do all those things it is like you have to be aware that you're not like distracting from yourselves by making her the focus yeah because then we're not talking to each other ever we're just exactly. having conversations with about mirin yeah about mirin so with about mirin. around yeah. of yeah yeah exactly and it's so easy to fall into that and then you feel like oh we had quality time but then you realize after the fact didn't really we did it was different quality time yeah when's the last conversation that we've had that didn't relate to the baby in some way we and we talk about work yeah, no, that's true. We do. We go for walks. That is our bonding time because Marin's in the stroller. So she's <laughs> doing, yeah, she's doing her own thing. <laughs> well, that's the thing, actually, that I think is helpful is she's very observant and she is content when she's out in the world to not be paid attention to by us because she's off looking at other things. Yeah. And so, like, when we're on walks, she, 
doesn't really care who's behind the stroller, is not yeah. looking for attention from us because yeah. she's got things to look at. So we can just have a conversation. Half the time she wants attention from us so we can be a vessel to move her around to be to experience yeah. things. Like, show me the molding yeah, on the, like, around the door. Show me what's out the window. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're just transportation devices for her lift me up higher so i can see down six floors yeah. and so what's going on <laughs> yeah i think the, that's been something really great about with zoe is and it i don't know if it's just how she is or if it's because of how she had to be because a she's the second kid but also she's the second kid after one that requires a lot of attention and hands-on time is that she was, she's always been really good at entertaining herself. And it's, she does of course have those moments of mom, look at me, dad, look at me, look what I'm doing. That happens. And I'm delighted that it does, but she also can go off and just draw for an hour, which a lot of kids can't do. They need you right there with them. So yeah, keep her doing things that entertain her. That's good. And she can, can go. You taught her how to do that. How? <laughs> I think, honestly, I think there's a, I think there's a character piece, right? That's just how she is. But I think part of it was just the reality of we couldn't give her our full attention at all times, partly second kid, partly. And there were, there have been times where she's like, oh, you don't pay enough attention to me because it's Stellan first. And I also know she's just like trying to use that to get attention, but because we've been very careful and conscientious not to do that. But yeah, it required her to have this self-sustaining element and self-entertainment she also was like totally the opposite where she started walking at almost she might have been like nine or ten months where she was like pulling up on things so she could do all those things by herself much to my chagrin where she's like pulling drawers open and taking things out very early so she was entertaining herself but making giant messes at the same time it's trade-off yeah. Which she still does to this day. You obviously had a lot, a lot to focus your attention on. And I'm guessing you weren't like, okay, why don't you, I'm busy, go sit on the couch and watch Frozen three times. I think you can take some credit here. Too. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And we made sure she had plenty of things to do. And she was, and also as we were doing, we have an amazing video of her from when she was tiny because we involved her in everything too. So we had all these therapists that would come to our house because, you know, early intervention in New York, they come to you, which is amazing. And so she was right there with them. And again, credit to the therapists too, who are willing to have this little tiny human hanging out while they're doing therapy with Stellan. But we have this amazing video of her like doing some of the therapy activities with his hands, like helping him pick up a ball and put it. She couldn't even talk. She was just making these like noises that sounded like she was doing therapy with him. So I think it was, it's a combination of involving her in things so that she's not left out and left to her own devices, but then at the same time, letting her explore her surroundings and then cheering her on a lot when she did stuff. Oh yeah, you jumped off a table. Like most parents were like, oh my God, don't do that again. And we're like, look what you can do. So we created our own little monster there by reinforcing all the crazy because we were so impressed that she could do things. I'm very encouraging of her messes. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing that's hardest for me actually. Yeah. It's like, we're going to sit down and eat something now. I don't know, it goes in your mouth. No. Okay. I guess it's an art project. Okay. And I looked around our house the a couple weeks ago now, and I realized the only room that didn't have some of Zoe's crap in it was this like half bath we have by the kitchen. Every other room, she even in our bedroom, which had been a safe space for so long, but COVID happened and she and Quentin were holed up in there together for a while. And so there's all these Lego building extravaganzas happening in there that just didn't get put away. So I guess we need to talk about balance, by the way. There's things that you're like, I guess I'm just going to have to give up on this. I'm not rigid about having a spotless house that is guest ready. Or if people come over, I'm like, sorry, have children. Yeah, we just were in the process of searching for a new babysitter. And we had one come in the other day and I was in the awkward position of explaining. I'm like, no, those spit up streaks on the floor are actually old. You don't have to get those. They've been there. We'll get to them eventually. <laughs> but up all the time. Like she's just gonna spit up on it again. I know. Yeah, it's true at a certain point. Like, like these streaks yeah. we have to get. I don't even know yeah. when she made these, to no. be honest. <laughs> you were hidden under the table. No, I've seen them for the last knew. two days. Listen, Noel, I appreciate all the time yeah. that you yeah. had. And I super psyched to have actually gotten to talk to you live Finally. this is so exciting thank you guys i have just i've i'm this is a great way to spend a friday afternoon so thank you guys for inviting me 
There you go. And hopefully we will do this again sometime soon and not eight years later after however yeah, long. And maybe oh, in, in like actual human protein form and, and not just through the gram. Yeah. We're working on, we'll, we have the first two plane trips coming up. So yeah, we'll I see. ordered that cushion thing, by the oh, way. Oh, good. Yeah. She's almost, she's almost fully vaccinated. That's very exciting. Hey, California, here you come. Or maybe it's Italy. Either way, you can't go wrong. Neither yet. I'm very excited. I just <laughs> found this thing that it's like makes the seat, it like extends the seat. It's like this inflatable thing. So they can just kind of lay down forward on the seat i don't know how to... what your lap is for they're supposed to extend themselves and across the entirety of the three seats <laughs> i know there there's a hundred percent chance she is going to end up on one of our laps and no, this thing is going to be the this thing. thing this thing is going to be the thing also they do sit on your lap on the airplane when they're under two you you guys know this right they don't have their own seat so i thought you could put them in a car seat oh yeah i guess you can so you yeah, can buy can them in a car seat yeah. I think we're trying the car seat thing. We'll see. We haven't figured it out yet. I guess we're just cheap. I mean, just always did the freebie. Yeah, it may it makes sense. We could probably do that for the Toronto flight. That's really short. Anyway, yeah. yeah. We're pretty safety conscious around here. Although she's going to get, I just ordered the, the handlebar bike seat thing. <gasps> I'm very excited. Wait, she rides in the front? Yeah, she rides in the front. Oh, so she can see better. That's great. Yeah, the kids riding in the back, that's terrible. Also, you can see her. No, it's all of the above. Plus, she'd be in a little <laughs> cage. Who knows of... what she'd be doing back there? <laughs> Head bobbing around, hitting things. The first time I took Zoe in one of those, it was in the back, and she was so tired at the point that I was riding home from the farmer's market with her that she screamed bloody murder for the majority of the bike ride. And then suddenly, I felt thunk. And she had just passed out in the little seat and her head, her head with the helmet on it hit that little crossbar that think, thankfully is padded. People have been through all these things. That's why there's padding. So yeah, that happened. So I couldn't see her, but I knew she was sleeping after she got over her anger. We'll see. Thank Thanks you. so much. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. bye. bye.